So, how's everything over there? Not bad. Nobody's firing missiles over us or anything like that, so we're good. <laughs> so, have you talked to Cody recently? Uh, not in the last week or so. I knew he was traveling back and spending time at home before going yeah. off. I think I talked to the person in Chicago that hired them, hired him, and I think he starts next week. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. Yeah. So, I know I've done this before, but still, like, can you introduce yourself for the coaches, the audience in Taiwan? Sure. Uh, my name is Derek Hansen, and I basically, right now, I'm working more as a consultant, and I provide educational materials for coaches and specialize in speed development and a few other things. But, um, you know, I'd worked for probably about 14 years as a strength and conditioning coach for a, a university, and then started working more with pro sports. And even before then, I was more uh, coaching track and field athletes. Um, but I would say in the last 10 years, I've been spending more time working with professional sports and um, also doing a little more stuff with general fitness um, people in terms of, you know, teaching them about sprinting and, and, and running. And uh, that's been very successful. But, but yeah, um, I would say mostly as a consultant and as as a as sort of a provider of education around running. Cool. So, oh, last time I talked to Cody, and he was in Taiwan, and he mentioned that before he met you, he always get like hamstring strain, always pull him his hamstring. But after he met you, he never. Pull it again. Pull his hamstring again. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. I just did the Mister Miyagi on his hand. No, um, we just uh, we just taught him how to run properly. I guess. Yeah. Cool. So today, I kind of want to focus on like uh, speed training check, like training check guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh that's a little different than I would say training just regular athletes. There's a lot more involved. Cool. So first of all, like uh like you mentioned, it's it's gonna be a little bit different with training like a team sport athlete. So for training like one hundred meter sprinter, how would you like how was the program going to be, look, look like? Yeah, for one thing, um, you have more time to dedicate towards running and sprinting. Whereas if you're a soccer player, a tennis player, an American football athlete, then you're practicing other things. You're, you're spending more time on your sport, the skills of your sport. So right away, you know, if you're um, maybe devoting two or three days to running, and sprinting for those sports you're you're probably dedicating about six days a week to running um, in various forms and then of course you have you know your weightlifting and plyometrics and, and other things too but you have much more time and energy to devote to 
um, just running related stuff and stuff to make you faster. Whereas, uh, you know, I'm trying to convince other sports and teams to, you know, let, Hey, come on, let's just do this twice a week. And that's, that's a hard sell because they think, well, I got to work on my, my, my shot for basketball, or we have to work on strategy and practice, you know, tactics. So it's, it's a lot tougher to, um, convince team sport athletes to to devote their time to running whereas you know if you're working with track athletes guess what you're at the track five to six days a week um, and then you just put everything else in there so that's that's probably the biggest thing initially is spreading all of that time and energy around activities that are going to make you faster and that's pretty much it so you posted like uh some of like how you program for speed right yep on your instagram are those like for uh teams for teams for athlete or like chat guys i mean i would say a lot of it is for team sports so you'll see that the distances covered are going to be shorter so most team sport athletes maybe they have to be good over 10 meters 20 meters maybe if you're uh um, playing rugby or soccer, maybe you, a few guys will have to run 30, 40 or 50 meters once in a while. So your distances are going to be a lot shorter, at least your training distances for those sports, uh, basketball, 10, 20 meters at most, uh, there's no real reason to go farther. Um, whereas, uh, track and field, my examples will just be extrapolated from there. So you have to work on obviously short acceleration just like these team sports but then you're going to have more opportunities obviously well, you're going to have to be able to run to maximum velocity the shortest race at the olympics is 100 meters which involves you know at least i would say you know two two basic energy systems um that you have to cover there's an endurance component uh and then the 200 is even you know and the 400 are even you know more endurance oriented um, so you have to spend time covering off all those uh, longer distances and um, addressing those energy system qualities, uh, whereas in team sport, not so much. Um, so I think that's the big thing is that you have to divide now, start dividing your training sessions up into, OK, today we're just going to work on acceleration zero to, you know, maybe 40 or 50 meters um, and then. This day is going to, we're still going to do acceleration, but there's going to be an emphasis on maximum speed. So 60, 70, 80, you know, meters. And then another day might be a little more oriented towards the speed endurance quality. So everything above 60 meters, 60 to 150 meters, if we're talking about a, a 100 meter athlete. Um, so I think that's, that's the big difference between what I, I put on Instagram. The reason I'm putting, you know, more team sports stuff on Instagram it's a much larger audience if you're covering all these different sports. Uh, whereas, you know, if I just put track stuff, smaller audience, less people doing track. And honestly, uh, it's not as lucrative in terms of the audience. You know, there's track doesn't bring in a lot of money. Yeah. Whereas if I said, you know, like I, I'm going to start doing some work with golfers, youth golfers and teaching them how to sprint so they get more explosive for golf. Well, there's a lot of money in golf. Why, why wouldn't I try doing that? And, and, you know, golf, tennis, um, you know, those types of sports. So 
you know, sometimes you have to kind of gear things towards what, it, you know, where the biggest payoff is going to be in terms of your audience. And, and um, you know, that's just the, the nature of things. True, true. So going back to like training program, can you like talk to us? Like if you're going to train a 100 meter sprinter, like what would the weekly layout be looking like? pretty much like i i described i would say i mean it depends on the phase early 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 training phase i'd probably be spending you know a little more time on acceleration and starts because i do a bit of a short to long program where i start with shorter distances and then build them out but i would spend you know a good amount of time on starts and then eventually you know we'll start working adding on a, a, a maximum speed component where we do flying starts and try to get them hitting higher speeds and then you know and which is compatible if you run uh, indoor track meets um, because the the shortest race there is 60 meters so it is pretty much an acceleration based race um, so you spend a little more time in the winter on acceleration and indoors and then when you get outdoors then you start you know adding on you know, maybe, like I said, maybe we have one acceler start and acceleration day, bigger emphasis there. Then we have a max velocity day, and then we have a speed endurance day, which again is, I said, 80 to 150. And then all the days in between, if those are separated, like every two days we do that, the days in between we're doing more conditioning work and tempo runs and just easy recovery work. And then from there, we kind of, I'll do my weights on the same day that we do our, our, our high speed running or sprints, but I'll do it after I always lift after we run. And then we'll probably do our plyos on those days too. And then we'll do, um, more body weight circuits, med ball passes on the conditioning day on the off day. So the, there's the six days, three days of sprinting, high speed sprinting, three days of conditioning, tempo recovery work. Um, you know, and then if they need any other, recovery work in terms of massage therapy or hydrotherapy you know we try to do those on the on the off days too cool so if like like what you just mentioned if today's one of the days you're going to be training like acceleration for like uh yeah. 100 meter sprinter yeah. like uh what would the total volume total running volume be um, it could be anywhere from 200 meters to, if it's just acceleration, I would say 200 meters to 450 meters. Um, you know, and that could be, say you're doing 200 meters, that might be, um, you know, 10, 10 times 10 meters and then five by 20 meters, right? So that's 200 meters there. And it's mainly starts and, um, early acceleration work might be resisted with sleds once in a while or running hills. Um, and then as we go up, as, as the distances go up, so maybe, you know, further in, we're doing twenties and thirties for starts and acceleration, and then things start to multiply out. And then you'll get up to those higher numbers, like over 300 meters, 400 meters. And then when we start eventually adding in max velocity, speed, endurance, then the distances get lo longer. And then that's where you're going to get up to like 600 meters, you know, maybe even beyond there. So, a common workout might be doing your warm up, and then we do four by one fifty, um, and we take you know ten to 
15, 20 minute breaks in between those. That's, you know, pretty far into the training season, but we're trying to do four by one fifty with extreme quality of on each repetition. So we take full recovery. So that would be about 600 meters. So that's, that's one of our, I would say heavier days in terms of sprint, sprint volume. But, you know, you want to make sure you're at the track a long time because in order to, you know, get the best quality out of those runs, you need to take big breaks. And I think that's where, you know, people, a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of high speed training is sitting around and waiting until you recover and do the next one. Um, that's the only way you can do it, right? And, and it's nice if you have warm weather, it makes it a lot easier so you don't have to warm up again. Um, but that's that's a huge part of it is, um, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, whereas in team sports, it's tougher. The mentality is like, we got to stay busy. We got to keep moving, right? So whenever I've had to work with different team sports, you know, the coaches get anxious they're like, hey, you're not doing anything. It's like, well, if you want your guys to get faster, we need to take these breaks, right? So, and I think that's why, you know, you were saying about, you know, Cody and his hamstring. I think if you do stuff that is very dense and you're constantly moving, your movement velocities aren't that fast. And so your your muscles can't work at high velocities. Uh, so when you have to work at a high velocity, you're going to pull a hamstring. So yeah, you need true. those breaks to 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 get to those levels of output where you're really taxing your body, and we see true. that in the NBA. We see a lot of hamstring pulls now. Um, I just got contacted by a, a baseball team, and they they want some help. And baseball, you'll see a lot of hamstring strains all through the year, because baseball is a lot of standing and sitting around, and then you got to do something like explosive, right? So. Um, you need to hit those velocities and, and train the body. Most injuries nowadays are because people aren't training properly. They're not stressing themselves enough, right? So everybody wants to recover. It's like, well, you're going to recover yourself to the hospital, right? So they, they don't, they don't hit max velocity like very often. Yeah. Sometimes never. Yeah. Sometimes never. Right. Especially That's in the pro level. Yeah, that's probably why they get so many of like hamstring strains. Yeah, you have to you have to impose stress on human beings, right, to prepare them for stress. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 a huge part of it. So uh last question is, was about like acceleration phase, the total running volume. How about the uh session for like max velocity how is the total running value for max velocity max velocity sessions yeah like a typical like a typical workout for max velocity i mean in the, at the on the extreme end might be um you know three sets of four by 60 right so that's 240 meters per set so you know, that's 720 meters. Like that is the most I would ever do, but that's a long session, right? So if yeah. you're doing four by 60 meters, um, you're probably taking six to eight minute breaks at minimum, right? So each of those sets is going to be, you know, 30 minutes. So 
30 minutes, then, you know, for each of those sets, that's an hour and a half minimum plus your warm up. So that's over two hours at the track. So, um, but that is, that is really honing in on, on max velocity, that four by 60 and you're doing three sets of that. So that's, that's kind of the extreme end, but then you can change the way you do those sixties, right? Sometimes we'll do, we'll subdivide them into 20 meter sections and go, okay, I want you to go hard for the first 20. I want you to maintain for the second 20. And then I want you to go hard for the last 20. So that's like a fast, easy, fast. And then we, and then maybe the next set we do an easy, fast, easy. So about 90% out to accelerate. And then I want you to go hard for the middle section. And then I want you to maintain for the last section. So we'll subdivide those. And the whole point there is that you're subdividing them by intensity so that you can intensify segments, right? So it's like, okay, if we just ran straight 60s all the time, we're going to burn so much energy. But if we subdivide it, you know, maybe we'll go, okay, we're working on that first 20. We give them a little break and then we work on the last 20, right? So we'll do stuff like that. And obviously the flying start might be 30 plus 20, so a 30 meter buildup, and then you work on the last 20. So there's ways you can tease out different adaptations for different segments. Um, and, and, you know, so it's very rare. We're going to do straight three sets of four by 60 without throwing in some modifications there like that. That's going to be a hard session. Very, very, very tough, hard. right? It's very tough mentally session. too. Yeah. Because, you know, the athlete knows that they have to run all of those reps fast in order to get better. Right. So, yeah. you know, you're timing them and maybe you tell them what the time is. Maybe you don't, but yeah, that's a tough session. So, uh, that's like acceleration and like, uh, max velocity. And for like speed endurance, you just mentioned probably going to do like, uh, four, four, four times of like 150, meters that kind of stuff right yeah or we, we we would do like 80 80 full recovery 100 full recovery 120 full recovery 150 all right so that's uh 80 120 that's 300 you know it's that's that's 450 meters there so sometimes we'll do 60 80 uh 100 120 150 that's a tough workout with full recoveries and that again that's probably gonna take about two hours of your time um and uh, you're kind of hitting max velocity into speed endurance on each of those. Um, but yeah, that's 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 a tough workout as well. That's over 500 meters of work. So that's like so the week weekly volume is probably near 2,000 meters, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At most, at most, you're you're approaching 2,000. Um, and then you know it's so tough to to get the most out of each of those workouts. So like you wouldn't do like of those examples I gave you each you're, you're not going to run fast on each of those days. Like you're fastest. So you might say, okay, maybe on a, on the max velocity day, the emphasis is technical. Like let's focus on technique. Let's take a few percent off. Let's, let's relax, whatever, you know, and then maybe the next day is the, the speed endurance day. Is, okay, okay. Let's go after this. And then the next week you change the emphasis. Like you have, as a coach, you have to, you have to kind of be able to read your athletes and know that, you know, okay, they look a little flat today. What's, you know, maybe we change things up. We do things a little different or, so I think that's, 
that's where it gets tricky is you have to make adjustments on the fly, even though that's what you planned. Cool. So next thing I want to talk about is like resisted sprinting. How do you like do some like, like, uh, put like resisted sprinting into your sprint training and how heavy would you go? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always found I'm a traditionalist. So I always found that if you can find a decent hill or incline, it's probably the easiest way to do it. It's just the problem is, is that, you know, can you find a hill that's uniform? Uh, the You know, is it grass? Is it asphalt? Um, you're not going to find too many hills that are in a track surface. We're lucky we have one here that's about, I think it's about a five, degree slope or six degree slope and it's very good it's a track surface too so we do some stuff on that 30 meter uh, slope but you know a lot of people are going to have to rely on using a sled of some type i'm not a big fan of parachutes they're just not they don't provide even resistance and if you get a crosswind it'll you know pull you off to the side it's just not useful and it's not not enough resistance at the early part where you need it um, so a sled and, and, and if we're doing very short runs, uh, say we're working on 10, 15 meters, you might go heavier. You might go 30%, uh, to 40% or 25 to 40% of body weight. So if I'm 200 pounds, you know, maybe I'm doing, uh, 45, 50 pounds on the sled, including the sled. Um, and you have to be careful because. It depends on, you know, the construction of the sled. Like a lot of sleds will have two runners and then the friction will be lower. And then some of them will be a flat pan. And so there's more surface area. So that's going to be, you know, you have to be uh, careful. And and some people have um, like now they make these uh, bags where you have sandbags in them. It's called a speed sack or something. And the friction is different on those. So you it may say on it like, oh, this is 40 pounds. But when you drag it, it's going to feel different. So you have to, you know, so that's why sometimes going by weight is not a great idea. You have to go by uh, how much that sled is going to alter your time. So, you know, usually we'll say about a 10 to 15% difference in time. So if I run, you know, again, 10 flat, if I'm dragging something over 100 meters, which you wouldn't do, um, it would be about 11, 11 and a half second run, right? So, you know, you want to make sure you're you're understanding the impact of that sled on performance. And you never want to see somebody like struggling and tightening up because they're using it. But, I, you know, yeah, as a coach, you have to, again, you have to look at things, you know, from a, from a, a numerical point of view, like, okay, how much weight is on here? And then you look at your watch, Okay, how's it affecting the runtime? And then how's it affecting their technique? So all those things have to be factored into, into your assessment. And then if you have a different group of athletes, you may have somebody who's 200 pounds. You may have somebody who's 140 pounds. You can't use the same sled weight with all of them. So you, you might have to you know have different ratings or different loads for different people. So it's that's why that's why a hill is really good right because it's your own body weight so um yeah i don't know it's 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 tough like and then within 
you can do like, say we do four by 20 with a sled. Okay, good. I would always finish with, um, with the uh, unresisted because I want them to feel what it's like to run. Or if I, you know, I work on posture with that sled. Okay. Now we take the sled away. Can you maintain that acceleration posture? So those are, you know, so you can go back and forth between sometimes they'll do it one rep with the sled, one rep without, or two reps with one without so that the athlete can feel what it's like to run without it. Because most of the time you're using the sled for posture and technique anyways, you're not using it for, um, you're not using it for extreme like loading, right? You're going to do that in the weight room under, under different conditions. So, so, uh, it's, it's, it's like letting just like band resistant, teaching them posture, the mechanic, that kind of stuff, right? For resistance sprinting. How's band resistance? No, different? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's like band resistant, right? Teaching them the mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Like we we partner up. We use bands, and we we use them mostly for we use them for drills, but also um, we use it for um, short acceleration starts and all that. And all, you're right. All all you're doing is you're providing a supportive element that allows them to get in position. And the other thing with all of this resistance is it slows things down. You're like, you can't move as fast, but then it allows you to think, okay, well, let's work on arm mechanics. Let's work on where my head posture is. Um, you know, so I think there's different reasons for using resistance. And the other part is you get other people, you know, the partner involved, he can feel, oh, this guy's really in a good position. He's pulling, you know, me very strongly you know, I, I'll, I'll make sure I do that when I do get my turn. So I, I like ha using the bands. I use them more in the early part of the season for that reason. It's a good teaching tool. Um, and it's cheaper. It's like, you know, to buy, if you have a team of say 20 people, you know, you need 10 bands. Uh, if you got to buy 10 sleds, one, it's harder to set up. You got to carry these bloody set sleds everywhere, but I can carry 10 bands over my shoulder and walk to the track or the field, right? So I'm a bit lazy, um, but it, it's just an easier way to get the work done. Cool. All right, we do jumps with them, bounding, all those sorts of things. Nice. So last, uh, next topic I want to talk about, uh, like hamstring, hamstring injury and how to like, uh, the word is rehab. Yeah, rehab. Yes. And Rehabilitation. I know. Rehab. Yeah, I know we talked this before on our last conversation, but recently post, like, is it like two days ago? You post one like, how like how would you like do the pro program for rehabilitation rehabilitation for hamstring, right? Yeah. So can you walk us through? Yeah. Um, an example would be like one of my athletes, he tore, uh, strained his hamstring and he was doing a 60 meter run. So that's, um, you know, that's a pretty high velocity run, right? So, you know, it doesn't take much to really irritate that hamstring. And I think it was uh, what I would call a grade one, which is a strain. And, you know, he walked with a bit of a limp after and he could really feel it. And so, he had a, 
he had a competition in about 10 days or 11 days. Um, so we basically, the first day, or I gave him a break for a few days, gave him a electrical muscle stim device and just had him work on just pulsing the quad to kind of, because if you pulse the quad, it'll relax the hamstring through reciprocal inhibition. And then we did that for a few days and then we got him doing drills, upright drills, marching, skipping, running high knees. And then when he could get through those drills, you know, over a period of a day or two, then we started him on short accelerations over 10 meters. And the first time we might do three sets of 10 meters times 10 reps at about 70%, 60%, and just get him used to falling and accelerating. And the second day, maybe the same thing, maybe added a set. Um, and then by the third day, he was probably running at about 80, 85%. And then just every day he felt a little better. Right. And then, you know, about five, six days in, we um, did uh, um, some deceleration work, like sprint for 10 meters, decelerate in five meters, some change of direction. But and then we also started having run out 15 meters, 20 meters. So over those 10 days, we had him running out to 30 meters and he was feeling good. And so he went and played. It was like a tournament and he had, I don't know, five or six games, maybe more no problems whatsoever. And so it's just, you know, again, it's a graded progressive exposure to the stress and demands of what he's going to do, which is acceleration. And, and most of the time in team sports, he's not going to run at maximum velocity. So do we need to get him to do the rehab all the way up to max velocity? Not really. No, you know, he can get by. But as long as he can do 10 meters, 20 meters, 30 meters, and he's asymptomatic and he feels good, he'll be confident. And you might give him a few tips, you know, when you're out there playing, like don't reach, don't overstride, and things are fine. So he got through no problem. Um, and so that's really what I diagrammed there is like that 10-day progression on Instagram and people can go see it. It's it's you know, I, I hear all the time of like, oh, we had a guy with a grade one hamstring strain and he was out for four to six weeks. And I, I don't understand why. <laughs> right. There's no reason. That's 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 inexcusable. So you should be able to get somebody back from a grade one in seven, 10 days, a grade two, maybe two to three weeks. Right. So um, it's just it's just a very basic program and you don't need to do any gym work or any fancy exercises the running will take care of it yeah so uh if i want if i'm like same same as like the question i asked before if we're if we train are training like track athlete like 100 meter sprinter so yeah. how long would you be putting them to like exposing them to like max velocity Can you ask that again? Sorry, let me. I'm just sort of thinking here. Yeah, just like if I if I'm gonna train like 100 meter sprinter, yeah. and they also have like uh uh hamstring strain, first degree hamstring strain, and how long would you be like ex exposing them for like max velocity training? Not really max velocity, but probably a little bit of like the posture 
and how would you like pro, pro progress it? Yeah, I mean, it's the same sort of thing where you're starting with short distances and then you, you know, you're, you're okay, let's go to the next workout. Let's go to 20 next workout. Let's go to 30. And it might be on consecutive days that you're working up to get them to run out to 60 meters, maybe farther, right? If you have enough time, it all depends because with track athletes, if I don't have a track meet coming up, a competition, I'm in not a, I'm not in a huge rush. So I might take two weeks or three weeks to, to really make sure that I get them up to a speed and velocity and, and um, you know, and they're comfortable with it. Right. But if they have a meet coming up and we're up against a, a timeline, then now you have to, you know, kind of rush things a bit more and you, you instead of going like, um, you know, maybe every two days we go up 10 meters, maybe every day we're going up 10 meters. Maybe we're jumping by 20, maybe go uh, 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 on consecutive days. It just depends on, you know, the time, you know, because I've had athletes where like in the NBA, where we've had somebody pull a hamstring and I would love to take 10 days to, to address that but they have a playoff game in four or five days. So we've kind of kind of rushed things and, and made it a steeper sort of increase. Um, and they were fine. So it really depends on what you're preparing for and how much time you have and how, how much you have to compress that timeline. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Of course. So you're really, you're really, you know, as again, it comes down to the, uh, your experience as a coach and your comfort level to, you know, really move things forward quickly. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. I don't know. It's like, it, it, unless you're in that situation, you really don't know. And, you know, and sometimes you'll surprise yourself, right? You're like, yeah. oh, I only have five days. You do it and then the athlete's fine. Yeah. But you have to be, I would say you have to be almost more aggressive than cautious. True. True. It's, I think it's why coaching is so interesting for me. You never know what's going to happen. No, like somebody explained to me long ago, like uh, organisms aren't linear. Like they don't, you know, behave linearly. Like sometimes there'll be huge improvements, you know, from like sorry so you might be like no improvement no improvement and then boom and then they improve right it, so you don't know you just don't know what the the rate of improvement is going to be and sometimes you know they go to bed they wake up the next morning like i feel good yeah so sure. you got to roll with it cool so last thing last question before i let you go is i know there's like so, there's going to be coaches put on some like cones to like teach the athlete like the stride length for acceleration and max velocity right yeah so if i'm gonna teach my athlete like where should they be putting their foot for like let's say accelerate acceleration usually from the start to like let's say well, I don't know, like two, 
20 meter or like 30 meter, how would you be like, how was the distance between the cones for acceleration? I mean, I, I have no clue. Um, because everybody's different, right? Like you could go and, and we could get data from the top sprinters in the world because they'll somebody will study that, right? And they go like, okay, every stride increases by 10% every step. Who knows? I, I have no idea what that number is. But you have to be able to watch the athlete. And I use a lot of video. So like you'll video them. And then it's not so much where their foot should land on the track. It's where their foot should land in relation to their center of mass and their hip, right? So you know, that might be, um, that might be just slightly in front of their hip. If you draw a straight line down from their hip when they're accelerating. And so that's the kind of analysis I would do is, you know, look at the video. And then if they're look like they're overstriding, then your correction is okay. You know, I, I just say, try to think more vertically, just think up and down, put the foot down sooner. Right. I don't say shorten your stride. I don't say don't do that. I just say either increase your stride frequency and think put the foot down vertically sooner. Or if they're under striding, I say relax, take your time, don't rush it. Right. Or um, lift your knee a little more. Or then you put resistance on them. You put the sled on them and the sled will strength will lengthen their stride because they have to push a little longer. Right. So those are all the tricks you do. But putting cones down, seems like a, a waste of time because it's very arbitrary, um, you know, and then the athlete can't really see, like, then they'll start looking down and going, okay, well, is my foot landing where it should? And then that ruins their posture. Um, so you have to be really careful with this stuff. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there you see on the internet and people think they're being tricky and fancy and, most of it is just for show. It's not. It's not a practical solution. So you have to be careful. So instead, of like like you just mentioned, instead of like putting cones hurt or whatever, looking looking at the mechanic, looking at how they move, and like like I think this is very important. The foot landing position, uh, for like. The, re the relationship with the hip and the landing position, right? Yeah. 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 That's more yeah. Important. I mean, it's just basic biomechanics, right? Yeah. That's more important. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just analyzing somebody yesterday and, and that's all we did. We shot video from the side. We shot video from the front, the back. And we look at all of those things and where are they landing in relation to their hip? Are they landing too far in front? Right. And then you make adjustments, right? Um but yeah, it, it serves no purpose to put cones down where, again, it's arbitrary. Cool. It's arbitrary, right? Um, cool. So, but it looks good. It looks good <laughs> on TV. It makes it look like, oh, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? But it's it's all bullshit. Like, cool, man. Love to talk to you. Yeah. So if anybody has any questions, they can jump on uh, Instagram and just ask questions about some of the posts I have. and um that's that's probably the easiest way so uh for those who are wants to reach out to you can you like uh say where what is your instagram name and i know you have like a uh instagram for your like education right 
Yeah, the the courses, it's running mechanics at running mechanics on Instagram. And then my primary one is Derek M. Hansen, D-E-R-E-K-M-H-A-N-S-E-N. Um, yeah, and then I my websites are sprintcoach.com and runningmechanics.com. So there's an easy way to contact me. There's a lot of like helpful helpful resources on it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's whatever way I can communicate with people. Cool, appreciate it, man. Okay, thanks, Eric.